this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to the hindu's in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today over the past few weeks there have been news headlines about ariha shah a child of indian parents who was taken away by child care authorities in germany after she was hospitalized for an accidental injury Despite no charges being filed against the parents, the baby was not returned to them. A diplomatic spat has now broken out between New Delhi and Berlin, and 59 parliamentarians from 19 political parties have written to the German ambassador in India asking for the child to be brought back to our country. The case has echoes of the 2011 Sagarika Chakraborty case in Norway, which was recently made into the Rani Mukherjee starring movie Mrs. Chatterjee vs Norway. The case also throws up questions about whether child protection services in Europe differ from those in India in their mechanisms. Ms. Inakshi Ganguly today speaks to us about this case, what child protection entails both in India and abroad, and how best children can and should be protected. Welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast, Ms. Inakshi Ganguly. Good morning and thank you for having me, Isabeda. Ma'am, the Ariha Shah case has once again turned the spotlight on an Indian child taken away by child welfare authorities in Europe, who have alleged neglect or abuse by the parents. Tell us a little bit about the child welfare laws in Europe. Are they very stringent, and are they very different from the child welfare laws we have here? The laws all over the world are designed to protect children from abuse and violence, whether it is in the home or outside of the home. That's the framework and the approach that the laws apply. um so india too does the same and india too also would um have has provisions where children if they are neglected or violated within homes they can be taken away and the state can take charge this is something that is common but how of course the systems in europe and elsewhere are much more stringent they are more they have much greater oversight their social workers are and and all the other caregivers are far more in place than we have as we are also very very short of resources in india both financially and uh, in in terms of personnel and people so um while the philosophic by while philosophically and strategically they are similar how it they pan out are very different as you we have seen both with the ariha case and with the case of the novichin children also the attitude of the state is a little bit more stringent i would feel so you think that the european authorities uh, would be more likely uh, to take a child away uh, in case there is neglect than would be the case in india yes definitely so and as we have seen in these two cases they exemplify how what happens um in fact uh, while i was um, trying to you know look at the ariha case up popped information that the german in in the german system there are several other countries across the world there was turkey poland and others that i could now top of my head i can remember that were mentioned where the the governments are in conversations with the german authorities to bring back children that they that have been taken away from the families of those nationalities into the protection system so they are definitely far more stringent than we are whether is if you are going to ask me is that good or bad well i do not have a straightforward answer for that because yes we need a very good robust protection system but should that system be such that it 
takes away all rights of parents who may or may not be abusive just on the premise that they are well the ariha case clearly shows that that is what that is how it may work the, it's 22 months and the child has uh, not seen her parents she gets access to them once a week for what one hour um and she was 7 months old when she was taken away it's she's 2 years old now and the parents i mean they, yeah, there was some injury as i i'm also just piecing together the information from uh, the news reports because i haven't been in touch with the parents uh, but what comes out clearly that there was an injury and now there can be an injury the injury was in a very strange place yes which could have led to some suspicion but once the courts have said that there was this injury was not because of sexual abuse once the courts of in germany have said hand over the children to the parents i find it completely you know should i say i i cannot fathom why the child protection system is refusing to do so saying that the child is now german speaking in children are are malleable the child comes back today she is speaking german tomorrow she will be speaking gujarati hindi english whatever is required in india children do do that all the time so to give the reason that the child is now uh, more german culturally and can, does not speak the language i find it mind boggling one of the issues that came up both during this ariha shah case and during the 2011 sagrika chakraborty case in norway is uh, the cultural differences uh, seen in the upbringing of children in india and abroad uh, do you think that this plays a role is this a big factor in the battle between parents and child service authorities i don't know in this case what was it aid what in with the ariha the entry of the child into the system was a little different from the case in norway yeah here the child had an injury the parents took the child to the hospital the first time nothing happened the second time the the uh, doctor medical services called in the child protection services because they felt that there might be something more to the injury than just an injury by falling or by hurt whereas in the case of norway as you will recall the the mother sought child support because of to to bring up her children because she was alone and she had two children and one child was very small and the older one had certain was mentally challenged a little bit and so she felt that she needed that support now if calling for support the services came in and found that the ch- she was feeding the children by hand which i as a bengali have mother have done to both my children um that she slept with her children which in india we do anyway we do not have nurseries where we put our children even if we had a big enough house this is not what is culturally accepted and so that was the reason those were the reasons given to take away shagorika's children from her in this case it was the injury so i do not know whether the cultural differences came into that when it comes to an injury there is either an injury or not an injury this got nothing to do with culture so i'm not sure what other reason the child protection services brought in to take away ariha from her parents you were saying ma'am that you know the medical services called in uh, the child protection authorities because they suspected that the injury could be something to do with child sexual abuse uh, do we have a system in place like that 
uh, in India as well, because we know that under the POXO law, um, mandatory reporting is is part of the law, correct? Yes, absolutely. Under the POXO Act, there is mandatory reporting that includes every one of us who may suspect or come across a case of what we suspect as sexual violence. And the medical profession comes under that too. So if a doctor were to find a child who he or she suspects was sexually abused, she, he or she is supposed to call in the police. And in that is why in many places uh, in hospitals, we, now we even have a one-stop crisis center set up whereby, uh, you know, the services are all in one place where the doctors can go to the one-stop crisis center and inform and then and things taken forward. So these are, uh, it's, it's similar. In terms of the approach, it is similar. How we apply, of course, will be culturally different. I do not see that every child should be taken away from the parents. I mean, this is, we are all, we've all ratified the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child and the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child very categorically says family is the best place for children. It's the first place for children. And now here, taking away a child without, especially in Ariha, I'm, Ariha's case, I'm so confused, I cannot tell you because it seems to be a battle between the child protection services and the courts. Where the courts are saying hand over the child and the child protection services are digging their heels in and saying no, we will not. How does that happen in a country? I cannot have, I cannot see that happening in India. For the, for example, if the courts were to say hand over the child to child, the courts, the district child protection services or whoever is in play in in India would have to do that. Tell us a little bit about the system in India, ma'am. How does what happens when there is a vulnerable child or a child in distress? So there are two laws, uh, three, two or three laws that kick in uh, in India. The the most overarching, comprehensive law that has is in that were, is available in India is called the Juvenile Justice Care and Protection of Children Act. Now, care and protection being the significant part of the formation, uh, which means that children who are in need of care and protection. In other words, children who we find are neglected or not looked after enough or who have fallen out of the protective net are part of the juvenile justice system and they are called children in need of care and protection. And the second group of children are the children who are in conflict with law. In in this case, when in, in the cases that we are discussing, it is the children in need of care and protection section that, that comes into play. So here we have a system within the Juvenile Justice Act is the Child Welfare Committee that where the child is produced and then the Child Welfare Committee, which is a bench of magistrates, decides where the child should be going, whether the child can go to or needs to be put back into the family and it with an oversight mechanism through social workers or the child should be placed before in an institution that is which is called a fit institution, either run by a state or run by uh, a non-governmental organization. The child can also be placed with a fit person who is declared fit by CWC. And, or there is now slowly a little bit of a foster care mechanism that is coming in too. Uh, and then of, we, together with this is the district child protection system. That's, so the, 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 the Juvenile Justice Act is interesting. It not only does uh, provides the legal mechanisms, it also provides the structure. And under the structure are the 
the child care institutions under their and in the latest amendment also the integrated child protection services has been included which includes the district child protection system which includes a whole range of people who are supposed to monitor and provide the services that's that's the system that we have now if you how will you determine that a child is needed needs to be brought under the system one as i said is under uh, in under the juvenile justice act section you know where it def- the def- how it defines the child in need of protection and there's a very long list in that the second is the the poxo law which I, it's amazing how even lawyers call it the posco law it is the protection of children against sexual offences act which was enacted in 2012 and that law defines what is sexual abuse and that is that could be penetrative sexual abuse or non penetrative sexual abuse and and has a range of uh, um, you know it it defines divides it into aggravated and and sexual abuse and and also aggravated sexual abuse depending upon who is the perpetrators are and if it is a family member then it would definitely fall into the aggravated sexual abuse for example if i'm just saying if if ariha were to be found to have been abused which is not the case thankfully and because it was the family it would have fallen in under the poxo law under under aggravated sexual abuse now <clears throat> under our in under the poxo act the doctors would have had to also report just like they have had to do it in germany so, so this is this law deals only with sexual abuse and then there is of course if you there is a child labor law which defines child labor so if if a child were to be found to be working and rescued then once again though dealt again you know brought into the system through the child labor law would be brought into the juvenile justice system as a child in need of care and protection similarly in the poxo act if a child were not to have parents or found to have no one to look after the child that child too would be declared a child in need of care and protection and brought under the juvenile justice system it's a bit complicated i, I don't know whether i've been able to explain it to you. no ma'am that's that's pretty clear so like you said one way of finding whether a child is uh, in distress or in need of care is through the poxo act when doctors come across injuries another way you pointed out was through child labor and if that has been reported no and i'm talking about two different laws i mean see apart from the fact that the juvenile justice act defines a whole lot of people as children in need of care and protection there are these two separate laws which also in some cases would require the juvenile justice system where so where the children would be produced before the child welfare committee and declared children in need of care and protection but not every child who is sexually abused is to be produced before the child welfare committee and declared any child in need of care and protection no if the child has a system of support within the family they don't need to be taken into the system so the laws are premised on the fact that the family should be the first go to place for a child absolutely all laws all laws are like that similarly even the child labor law i mean one would the first thing that they would do is after bringing the child into the system and then the cwc would find a way to send the child back to the family even if it is to to another state 
You spoke to us a little earlier, ma'am, about the fact that while we have the same approach towards childcare protection as European countries do, and our laws on paper are are similar, we have a problem with implementation and resources. Tell us a little bit about that. So, um, interestingly, there's a little bit of a history to the integrated child protection system, which I think would make this conversation very interesting, a uh, little bit richer. The, there, when in 1999 and 2000, um, Huck Center for Child Rights, which I had co-founded, we started to do research on, you know, the budget allocation for children. What we found was that the lowest amount of, the lowest share of the budget in the union government was going to child protection. And of that, all the money that was being allocated was going into services for children after they have fallen out of the child protection net. That was also the time when across the world there was a conversation on creating a protective environment for children. So using the two together, we kind of, we kept talking to the government and saying, you know, just keep looking every time what the money we put for children in child protection is so damn low that we cannot do anything with this money. I mean, the children really will not remain protected and we will wait for them to fall out of the protective net and then provide them services. Like, the, you know, there were services for putting them into childcare institutions or there were some other services at that time, but a few of them. The government of India then in 2003 started doing its own budget analysis. They too found the same thing. So when the 11th five-year plan was being discussed, the ministry got into the act along with the planning commission. And through the 11th five-year plan in 2007, the discussions for the formulation of the integrated child protection scheme started. And the scheme was then formulated and it became a part of the planning commission document and then it was it, it was devised um, so it came into you know being as what we what we have today as the integrated child protection scheme with district child protection units and all the structures that it, there are in it that history is a little bit interesting because the idea at that time for introducing the the integrated child protection scheme was actually to create a robust system so that children do not fall out of the protective net. And at the village level itself, there are systems in place where, you know, the village child protection committee would be set up. And that was meant to be a system that is, you know, in, integrates all the existing services the, the teacher, the Anganwari worker, the social workers, you know, it it was meant to be a sort of a much more sort of, you know, like uh, in my head, because I was part of the sort of drafting of it, in my head, it was more like the, you know, how the Mahila Samakya system is created, where you create the village level women's groups. Unfortunately, over the years, the way it has been created is that it's much more top down. Someone goes and says to the village, goes into the village, identifies people and says, you, 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 you will become a village level child protection committee. So that's how it is now. But if it had actually been the way we had envisaged it, it would have been, I think, much more organic. And perhaps, I'm not sure, but given how Mahila Samakya works or Kudumbashri works, where people come together organically and form these groups, 
if those village level child protection committees were formed in that organic way and so the the teachers or the the panchayat members all were sort of integrally part of protecting children in the village in in where they are uh, it would the spirit of the icps as would have been a little different than what it is today having said that that was my big long story about the icps having said that that is the only system that we have in the country now as we speak and what is again sad is we were looking at the budget allocations over the years and huck has been doing that for some years now uh, has continued to do it from from the time that it started we find that the budget allocations for children instead of going up are actually going down and this year in 2023 as i was looking at the budget analysis i was i must say i was not just surprised i was very disheartened to see how low it is for ch- the share of children has is at its lowest which to my mind is not just about money it because budgets are also about uh, a kind of a example of the political will and governance of a country and how important a group of people or an issue is to to a country or a political system and have when i saw that how low the budget was I, and it being at the lowest how do you expect a system to run robustly with people with infrastructure if we do not put money into it so that means on the list of priorities children are quite low yes definitely and yet what we do is for every time we are and i that is why when i have a conversation like this i always do a little bit of caveat that while i'm worried about what happens to children and and needing better implementation and of of what we you know of of ways in which we can protect children my concern remains that i'm not asking for more penal or stringent provisions i need to put that out very clearly because every time we complain about a child being unprotected the immediate reaction from society and the state is to have more stringent and penal provisions and that's how you have death penalty and a minimum of 10 year 20 years punishment in the poxo act which actually derails the justice system instead of strengthening it because we then children turn hostile families turn hostile because children want the abuse to stop but they do not want to be responsible for you know uh, hanging someone or someone dying because of their report because of uh, we also know that 70% of Um, or more of abuse happens within the home so now you will say that then are you not being contradictory the family is the best place and and yet you're saying 70% of the abuse happens at home that is where i think a robust oversight system is a good idea so trained social workers visiting families is a good idea um strengthening families is a good idea that's the way to go not taking children away from parents in this manner without especially uh, without fully understanding if the family is really the worst place for the child which can well be but this is but how does this link to ariha 
it is quite clear that her family is not the worst place for her. All investigations have clearly shown that. If that is what the investigations are showing, why does it take two years for her not to be back with her parents? It's a question that remains in my head, just as it remains in the government of India's head. And the only people who seem to be able to answer this are the child protection system in Germany. And they seem to be adamant. And it's something that will, you know, it's a question that they need to address. And I always make a distinction between protection and protectionist. A protection system is empowering, it's enduring, it's compassionate, it puts the child in the center. A protectionist system puts everything else from culture to, you know, safety as it's perceived by cultural norms. Uh, all of those in, and it's patriarch, much more patriarchal in in its approach. So I think we need to have a robust child protection system that is compassionate and caring and not one that is only about gatekeeping. Ma'am, we hear so much about uh, every week or so there's a news report about children being abused within childcare settings, within childcare homes that are supposed to be protecting them. Do you think that this area uh, in child protection needs far more oversight than there is right now? Definitely. I mean, yeah, last week was Chhattisgarh, right? Before that, we know that there was a Muzaffarpur incident, that Muzaffarnagar, it had happened. And it just, it just seems to be, these were only the reported cases. So what we do need are institutions that are safe, that are monitored, that are transparent. And at this point, I will uh, bring in um, my own experience because which I I. It, I'm not wanting to use this platform to advertise my book, but to say that, but because I have just written about it, I thought I should bring it in. Um, I My book, Juvenile Not Delinquent, uh, published by Speaking Tiger, was released this year. And one of the first instances that was because it was my first experience of going to an institution is something that I've written about there. And this was way back in 1992 when, when the 1986 Juvenile Justice Act was enforced and the new law had not yet come into place. What we found was that the minute we started to visit institu the institution, things began to change. And I was much younger then. And it, it really struck a chord in me. So what and over the years, this is exactly what we have found, that every time you make institutions open, you allow visitors, you make it more transparent in terms of the processes, the children are better looked after and the caretakers too are happier. Why am I saying that? Because we find that while caretakers are pulled up and punished when there is an abuse, Otherwise, this is the caretakers of children in institutions are a faceless army of people who we know nothing about. I have I have been advocating and a lot of us have been advocating now for better working conditions for caretakers, much more support for caretakers, their mental health issues to be addressed because they are day in and day after looking after children in the institution. But nobody is there to listen to them, ask them what they are going through. So once we, a, a robust system of child care would require not just attention to 
children in, in, the, in the institutions, but also to the whole system that includes caretakers, superintendents, all the staff, their capacity building, their needs to be addressed too. So it's a, it's a more comprehensive approach that is required if we want institutions to become better and safer spaces for children. So last question, ma'am, before we sign off, is that um, we have a, in Europe, there seems to be a very robust mechanism also of schools calling in child welfare authorities if they believe uh, that a child is being neglected or abused at home. Do we have anything like this in India? And if not, do we need something like this? Since, of course, many children uh, spend a lot of their days in school. Well, the system allows for the schools to bring in the child care system. The POXO Act is very clear that the teachers also are uh, are responsible for mandatory reporting. That's in the POXO Act. But otherwise, to the, the the if a child if if teachers were to suspect that the child is being abused physically or any other way, they have the capacity to do that because there is also you know child protection committees and meant to be set up within schools, which are not just supposed to be only looking at children uh, being abused within schools and reports on that but also about children who they suspect may have been abused. There is a system. Now, whether that system is actually working, well, you know, culturally, reporting is not something we do. Also, culturally, there is this whole thing of not getting into, you know, respecting the privacy of a family, uh, not going, getting into their business, and it's not my business. So, um that is why you will not find that many reports. In fact, teachers find find it very difficult to call parents into the school and even talk to them about what is happening at home, especially in private schools, because suddenly with the with schools becoming this expensive, parents' attitudes also have changed and they've also become a little bit like, you know, um, we pay money to send our children to school. So, you know, there's a whole change in the culture that is happening with the market and coming into education in a big way. These are multiple levels of problems and it's not enough to be discussed in one podcast perhaps. But the short answer is, if the school system so wishes, it can bring the child protection system in. Because it should be everybody's business, right? It should be everybody's business. But, the, you know, the crazy thing is, um, policing and powering, I don't, I don't, uh, it's sort of a word that I'm inventing as I go along, is something that is so intrinsic to us because of our feudal nature. So I have complained that the, the district child protection officer from the district child protection unit is meant to be a person who is supportive and empowering along with being somebody who's monitoring. But we, more and more reports that I get from districts and from children's child care institutions and from other places where children are being looked after is of people who have become of DCPOs who take on their role of monitoring and policing and sitting there and ordering much more seriously than the empowering part of it, the supporting part of it. And so every we have the, the capacity as to turn anything good into anything so bad. It's quite crazy. So it is also about who we are. So you can put what systems in place unless we as individuals see the need to become 
more compassionate and empowering and supporting in our approach. And every individual in the system sees that as his or her role. Whatever system you put in, it will not work. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Ms. Inakshi Ganguly. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.